0: Hey everyone, my name is Maggie Tang. And I'm Elena Cho. And welcome to Gourmand, a show where we share food stories with people who like to eat. I am so excited for today's guest on the show. We're sitting down with Bobby Lloyd, Chief Baking and Operating Officer of Magnolia Bakery. I actually first met Bobby during a food trek we had for Pen Appetit and then went on to work for her last summer at the Magnolia Bakery home office. We've had so many fun moments together and she is not only one of my absolute favorite people in the food world, but really a true inspiration. You probably know Magnolia Bakery for their iconic Magnolia cupcakes or their famous and delicious banana pudding. Started as a small bakery in New York City, there are now over 20
1: stores worldwide. Today, we chat about what it was like for Bobby coming up in the food world, flavor combinations at Magnolia Bakery, and what the process of writing a cookbook looks like. Let's dig in. Welcome to the show, Bobby. Thank you. It's exciting to be with you again. (laughs) Very excited to have you. Um, So let's go ahead and dig in. Uh, We know that you grew up in Chicago. So we'd love to start by just hearing a little bit about your upbringing and childhood and you know, whether there were any sweet treats involved or if anything there kind of got you started on the track that you ended up Ooh,
2: on. Lots of sweet treats. So um, I think you might know that I just launched or, or announced yesterday a new cookbook written by moi. And, but yep. it's, it's not released yet. It's coming out, it'll be out October 27th, but a few weeks ago I saw my mother and I showed her sort of the pre-release copy. And I said, look, mom, there's grandma's recipe And she looked at the recipe and she said, that's not grandma's recipe, (laughs) you changed it. So there's a long history of women in the kitchen in my family. And I learned from, I was lucky enough to have a great grandmother that was alive until I was 20, um, who we always had an annual tradition and during the holidays in December of getting together with my aunt, my mother, my grandmother, my great grandmother, my younger sister and making cookies. The guys just didn't have the patience for it, my brother and my cousins, but the girls would get in the kitchen (laughs) and we would have so much fun. The guys always ate everything. But the girls, we all had the patience to sit around the table and talk to each other and share stories and make cookies. And so um, my mom also handed me a cookbook that would have been my great great grandmother's, I guess, Um, a different great grandmother that was hers um, in the early 1930s. And it's all dog-eared and fingerprinted and greasy looking. And she's got her, you know, when people back then wrote in script, that was the really beautiful handwriting, but you can barely read it nowadays. There were all these recipes (laughs) (laughs) written into the book in the back. And then a bunch of her little recipe cards I found in there. So I was really excited because I actually want to make some of those desserts now. So I I feel very fortunate to have grown up in a family that that valued um, gathering around the table and sharing the experience of baking together.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I remember we spent some time together looking through like old vintage cookbooks in your office. And it was so fascinating what the differences are between like cookbooks nowadays and cookbooks then. How do the recipes from the old cookbooks inspire you and how have they inspired this new cookbook?
2: You know, what's great about reading through so many of those is most things kind of stay the same. It might be the the change in the quality of the ingredients, certainly in the after the Depression in the 30s and 40s. And even in that era, it was lack of butter. So there were a lot of shortening substitute type things for pies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you got into the 50s and 60s, and it was all about things in boxes. Because that was just what was in vogue at the time. So it's like 27 desserts made with jello, 300 desserts made with a can of sweetened condensed milk. And it just went on and on and on of all the things you could compiles so it wasn't really baking so much as it was assembling things from a box but yet there were still those same techniques and the you know they say that science baking is a science those techniques are really still the same just we have better equipment now we have better tools that we can work with and probably a lot better ingredients that are easily accessible to everyone
1: yeah definitely There's such a timeless nature I feel like to baking, um, which is why it's it's so nice is this kind of connecting thing between generations. I feel like Um, I also, you talking about recipe cards just made me think of my grandmother's recipe cards that are written in that classic script that I feel like kind of all looks the same (laughs) across families in a lot of ways. Um, But yeah, definitely uh, there's something special about I feel like recipes from that time period. Like kids get holiday cards
2: and birthday cards from their grandmother. And they, they always hand it to me. They're like, Mom, I can't read this. And I, I know exactly <laughs> what she's saying because I've seen her handwriting my entire life. But hey, nobody learns how to write script anymore. So it's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. And on the topic of the cookbook, I know it was a huge production that took like two and a half years. What was that process like, um, writing the cookbook? You know, when I signed the contract in May of 2018, my editor told me
2: you know, obviously how much time I had. And I was like, oh, poof, that'll never take so long for <laughs> And then I started working on the book and she gave me some really great advice. The first thing she told me to do was to not sit down and write. Because you know, if you look at a cookbook, it's the beginning of the book is the introduction and then it's the tips and techniques and tools and all those things. She goes, don't do those yet. Do the recipes first. So um, taking that advice from her is what helped me get through the recipe testing process, which I don't want to say it's grueling, but it's, you got to make a lot of food. (laughs) It's like, what do you do with all that food? (laughs) We're just constantly giving it away to people. Recipe testing, recipe testing. Um, And it was really fun because I actually learned some things through the process of how to make it a little bit easier. Maybe not so many, there's this rule of, how do you become, um, you make it so precise and so many instructions that it's almost daunting, but you don't wanna cut away too much because if you leave out important information, they may not be able to actually make the dish properly. Mm-hmm. So it's a fine
0: line. Do you have a favorite chapter?
2: You know, um, I do because I love scones. I don't know what, it, I just, I love scones. There's something about them. And my scone recipe, I created this scone base so that it's very easy. I keep a batch of it in my freezer, and then all I have to do is add whatever the flavoring ingredient is in the liquid. So it's got the baking powder, the flour, the salt, it's got the butter in it, it's ready to go. And you just measure it out and add your ingredients. And, and I, I can make a batch of scones in, a, in literally five minutes. It's ready to go. So that's probably my favorite chapter. In terms of beauty, You know, the, the cakes and cupcakes are so pretty. Um, I really had a great time doing those. And um, I just, I love to look at the pictures that we did.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure, you know, I'm so interested in the creative process um, because I'm an art student Uh, and do a lot of photography, food photography and that kind of thing. Um, So I'm sure that must have been a lot of work but really fun to be able to uh, come up with shoots and different things for the whole book. it was
2: a blast so you met ned our creative director and cheryl did all the styling so we went to a, a prop house here in new york city and we rented a lot of props i don't even know how much money we spent it was great fun um because we didn't want every photograph to look the same so we rented backdrops and you know fake backs that made it look like an antique kitchen and Beautiful, oh, just gorgeous plate settings and cups and serviceware, and it was just oh, that part of it alone was so much fun. Um, and then we put together a very grueling schedule of, um, and I'm, I'm lucky because I have a test kitchen here in the office, so we put together a grueling schedule of all of our baking, what was going to be shot on what days. Um, I had one assistant working with me um, as a baker and
1: decorator. Uh, and and we did our own dishes, and we did it all. So excited to see it. It sounds like I can imagine it's a beautiful book. Yeah,
2: it's the Magnolia Um, Bakery Handbook, a complete guide for the home baker. So baking made easy with 150 foolproof recipes and techniques. And the whole goal of the book was really to make it super accessible so that nobody would be intimidated or scared about making something. And
1: that's why there's a lot of um, instruction on how to make things. That it's for, you know, kind of, the home beginner baker, because I feel like especially because of the pandemic, I've seen so many of my friends and peers who have never baked in their lives start baking. Yeah. Um, and I know that Magnolia released some of their recipes, like banana pudding, yep, which I did, did make. Uh, it was my mom's request for her birthday, and that's what I made her. Oh, um,
0: great. Exactly. Um, so kind of going back <laughs> to the beginning, um, food was a really big part of your life. What made you decide that you wanted to go into food and into hospitality? It's a long journey, so I don't want to bore you with all the long, boring details, but um, I was working in restaurants
2: to put myself through school, through college, and I really loved the environment in restaurants. I always felt that every day was like going to a party. It didn't feel like work, and I made a lot of money because I was waiting tables at those, in those days, and my boss at the time, um, I just loved talking to him about cooking, and he said to me, you should go to culinary school, and this was really at a time before that was a thing that you would do, go to culinary school, like what, who does that? Um, but I did, and it set me on the journey, um, instantly fell in love with everybody that I met, the industry, working in the kitchen, um, it's super hard work, but it's like running a marathon every day, and, and if you like doing that kind of crazy stuff, it's really, really fun, So, and that set me on the journey. Um, the long path was uh, through many different um, categories and areas of the restaurant industry. I worked in the front of house. I worked in the finance side. I worked the service side at Union Square Cafe. I was a private chef for Calvin Klein and his wife, Kelly. Um, so all really fun experiences, but they led me ultimately to Magnolia Bakery. Um, Steve Abrams, the CEO, was my partner at another business that we had together. And um, he, he left that business to become a contractor and he met the owner of Magnolia Bakery at a social event and called me and said like, Oh my God, like we need to buy this. <laughs> and so I went and looked at it and I said, you're right, we do. And um, then the rest is history. <laughs> so it how- was 13 years ago too. Oh, wow. I was just about to ask how long ago is that? Yeah. Yeah. Time flies. <laughs> yeah.
1: What was it about the bakery that made you have that reaction that, Oh my God, we have to get in on this and we have to buy this place.
2: You know, it's, um, there's two parts to that story, and that's a really good question, because in 1984-85, I opened a business in Boston that had a retail bakery at the front, and it was called American Accent Bakery and Cafe. And our concept was kind of everything that was on the table we would make. So like we made our own ketchup, our own mustard, our breads, desserts, ice cream, like you name it. If you ate it, we made it um, that's sort of our tagline. If we could eat it, we make it. Um, but That business didn't last. I had it for a couple of years, so it was really, if when I went back and looked at my menu from American Accent, and then in 1996 Magnolia Bakery opened, it was kind of like Magnolia copied me, but she wouldn't have known about my business at all. But it was those classic American—I hate to use the word old-fashioned—but it was the kind of desserts that your mom made, your grandma made, your great-grandma made—that we served in my restaurant. And in the late 90s, when she opened up Magnolia, nobody else was really doing that in New York. So it was very timely for her to do that here. And so the, the concept was near and dear to my heart already. I'd already done something like it. She, just, she didn't do bread, my, my restaurant and bakery, we did do bread as well. Um, and so it seemed like the perfect fit and the perfect time for, us to, for Steve and I to do a project like that. And Steve didn't even know I was a baker Oh, really? You know, I had chef. Yeah, well, because I hadn't been doing it for a while. So he knew that I had chef background and finance background and, you know, service in front of house background. But I hadn't been a baker for a number of years. So it was kind of bringing me back to my true love.
0: (laughs) It was meant to be. It was meant to be. Yeah. Um, What was being a private chef like for Calvin Klein? I feel like that's a very unique experience. Oh, God. It's... um, It's really interesting. It wasn't a
2: job that I I sought out. Somebody called me and said that they had sent my resume to Calvin. I was like, what? You did what? (laughs) Because I, not a job I would have ever thought of working. He said, look, it's a six month gig. They'll pay for you to move to New York City and you're in New York. And I was like, and the Hamptons. It was a job out in the Hamptons. I said, yeah, that's kind of interesting. it's hard because you're always at the beck and call of your client. They pay you well, they give you housing, you know, you get a car, the whole thing. Um, But when you're working those five days of working every week or sometimes six, um, you're at their beck and call and you never know what might come up. Calvin was actually really wonderful to work for. Kelly was beautiful and delightful and kind. Um, The crazy stuff would happen. Like my favorite story was on a Friday night, they called me up at my cottage and said, oh, will you come up? It was like 11 o'clock at night. We come up to the house. We want to plan a party for tomorrow. And the party was 50 people. And and I was like, I I, I can't do that alone. How are we going to do that? And they're like, oh, we'll help you. We'll get in the kitchen. We'll we'll work the grills. And I'm (laughs) thinking, yeah, sure you will. And they did. (laughs) And everybody in the kitchen peeling corn, shucking corn. I went out and bought three grills. We did lobster on the grill, all these great dishes, and they, they all jumped in. It was really fun. And it was a really great kitchen to work in. And so it really was kind of a fun opportunity to just constantly be making the same things sort of over and over. It was like my test kitchen. So, and it was fun. And there was somebody to eat it all.
1: <laughs> true, true. That's the thing with me whenever I bake is, you know, I'm in a family of, when I'm home, I'm in a family of four. My dad doesn't eat too many sweets. My brother only likes chocolate. So it ends up being my mom and me eating everything, usually.
2: (laughs) In my early culinary days, I lived in um, Back Bay in Boston when I was in school. And I lived in a a brownstone with four apartments. And I would just leave things at people's door because I was always baking. I would just throw it at their front door all the time.
0: (laughs) Did they know it was you?
2: (laughs) Oh, they knew it was me, yeah. (laughs) You could smell it in the whole building to begin with. So I was making a lot of bread, a lot of sweets. It it was, And you had to make it. It was school. I had to do it. (laughs) You must have been the best
1: neighbor. They loved me. (laughs) I'm sure.
0: (laughs) So when you and Steve purchased Magnolia, it was just the one shop, right? It was one shop in the West Village, yeah. Did you ever think that it was going to grow to where it is now? And how has that expansion been?
2: Well, we knew that we would have domestic expansion, and that was really the plan. But, you know, Steve and I kind of thought, well, you know, 10 stores around the New York area, that that's great, we'll make a lot of money, we'll be able to manage it easily. <laughs> and then um, we opened a store in LA. Um, and then in 2009, 2008, 2009, we were approached by um, Bloomingdale's, they were opening a store in Dubai. And that was their first international location, and they wanted sort of um, they were creating this this area in their furniture store that was supposed to be all these iconic New York brands. And the way they were designing it was like a kind of like the West Village, like a a little narrow sidewalk that you'd walk down with little shops on either side. And Magnolia Bakery ended up being the entrance of their furniture stores. What you see first is Magnolia. You know, the sign above the door says Bloomingdale's, but what you see is Magnolia Bakery. And um, that was a huge hit immediately in Dubai. And suddenly we got requests from all over the world to open stores and we didn't have a, um, you have to have a it's called the Master License Agreement, MLA. We didn't have one yet. So we're like, uh uh-oh, I guess we need to put this together. And now we have about 20 to 25, it varies at times, um, international stores plus, We have nine stores in the U.S. right now.
1: Oh, wow. And you guys have obviously expanded so much between that and e-commerce, etc. And I'm just curious, you know, it's so interesting to me because it's a bakery that started with these values of, you know, small batch and homemade and fresh baked. How do you make sure you stay true to those when you're expanding across the world and don't necessarily have that direct control um, in each and every one of your shops? Is it about the people running them or all of the above.
2: <laughs> it is the people. Yeah. Um, we don't sell a mix. There's a lot of franchises. The franchisee is required to buy everything from the franchisor. So it usually means a mix and, and whatnot. We, we don't. It's flour, butter, sugar, eggs, and chocolate. What, we're, what they're getting from us is recipes and techniques. So they have to hire mm-hmm. um, executive pastry chefs who know what they're doing. They come to the U.S. for a very stringent um, training program for six weeks, and then our team goes there for six weeks when they open their first location. Oh wow! So that's twelve weeks of training. That, that's a lot, but and it's already with a qualified chef. We're not teaching someone how to bake; we're just teaching them our techniques. Um, so, and then our our franchise ops team is really on top of communication with everybody on a very regular basis, even in the U.S. I and mean, we we bake at all of our stores. So even though we have the e-commerce, which we consider a store, that, that location is making product that's shipping directly to homes. It's not making the product for the other stores in New York. They make their own product. Right. Yeah. And, then, so, and you know, we eat a lot of sweets to make sure they're tasting good. <laughs> <laughs> you must have had a lot of banana important. pudding. <laughs> oh, boy. Well this, la- this month, we're making one called Sweet and Salty. It is so good. And it's everything that you love about, like, ice cream with stuff added in it. Like, I love fish food and chubby hubby and those kind of things. So, like, kind of dig in your ice cream to find crunchy things. Um, This banana pudding has double-dipped pretzels, double-dipped in chocolate, mini chocolate chips, Oreo cookie bits, and salted caramel. So good. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really – it's –
1: yeah, it's one of my favorite. Yeah,
0: that sounds delicious. I'll have to try it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good.
1: What's one of your, yeah. What are some of your favorite? I know there've been so many different banana pudding flavors throughout the years. So what are some <laughs> highlights for you? The first banana pudding we flavor we did besides the classic
2: was a peanut butter. And I love all things peanut butter. So I kind of insisted like we're doing a peanut butter one and we got the, um, the uh, little peanut butter wafer cookies and peanut butter in the mix. Cause what better combo than peanut butter and bananas? It's perfect it's the best and that I, I love that one. And then I did that one with a chocolate peanut butter, banana pudding. So I always say when people ask me the question, like, what's my favorite, whatever in a category, it's kind of whatever we're doing right now. Cause like I'm only going to get the sweet and salty for this month and then it goes away. So then I'm going to love it while I have access to it. And then next month it's pumpkin. It's like, yay, I get pumpkin again. Um, but my one, single favorite dessert actually two because they're kind of similar in, in a way is our key lime cheesecake I love it love it love it it's so delicious it's light and fluffy and almost like a souffle and then the blueberry jamboree which I made a bunch of them this summer for my family and it's a, a, a pecan shortbread crust with a whipped cream cream cheese filling And then it's topped with um, fresh blueberries that have been, you you like take blueberries kind of half and half, half of them you cook with sugar. And after they pop and release their juices, you take it off the the flame and you add the other portion of the fresh blueberries that haven't cooked. It is so good. And it's so fresh. And during the summer, um, I rented this house in June and July that had 45 blueberry bushes upstate in the Berkshires in Massachusetts, 45 bushes. And we were waiting every day, like when are these things gonna be ready? When are they gonna be ready? I only had the (laughs) house until July 31st and it was literally the last two weeks of July. And every morning and every night we were running out to the bushes to like pick as many as we could. And it's kind of, you don't even know what to do with them all. I still have a giant bag of, it's almost a gallon left in my freezer. So when they're at their peak, (laughs) you have to eat them like crazy. I felt very healthy because it's an antioxidant.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I went on a camping trip to Maine this Uh, summer. Uh, So we got wild Maine blueberries. Um, It was just someone's patch that they kind of owned the land and uh, could drop off some money in a little box to pay them for the blueberries, pick your own. And we made, yeah, we picked so many. We we're eating them by the handful, uh, made a blueberry crisp. And then I still have some in the freezer yeah. as well. <laughs> At some point <laughs> my, never ending. my family
2: was like, will you stop making crisps? Mom, we've had enough all summer.
1: Cause in the early part
2: of the summer I was doing raspberries and strawberries and rhubarb and, and I just, I love the crumb topping. It's so delicious. And then as the blueberries became available, it was blueberry, strawberry, blueberry, raspberry, strawberry. And they're like, enough. Every barbecue, you bring a crisp. It's
0: like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they're so good.
1: There's nothing better. And now yeah. it's apple. Now it's apple.
0: Bobby, I know I just saw that you created a Bake with Bobby account. Is this where people can find out what you're baking and follow along? Yes. Yes. that's. It. You should follow me at, at Bake with Bobby.
2: Um, I'll probably post like every other day or so as we develop more content and take
0: videos and post recipes.
2: So as the books gets more and more pressed, especially, I'll I'll start posting some real recipes, too. It'll be fun. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, And kind of back to kind of the different flavors of banana puddings and cupcakes. We know that Magnolia does, like, a different cupcake of the week. How does planning that Turn out.
2: If I did the algorithm of buttercreams and cupcakes and then you all the combinations that you could combine together, there's probably more than a thousand. Oh my goodness. So we do rotate. It's a lot, but okay. we rotate things in. So again, you know, I'm a peanut butter lover. So our chocolate cupcake with the peanut butter buttercream or the peanut butter cupcake with chocolate buttercream. Oh my God. Then you can also do a peanut butter cupcake with jelly filling with peanut butter butter buttercream, and then you have a peanut butter and jelly cupcake. So just the peanut butter thing alone. And then we do a Reese's cupcake. There's just like a million different varieties of things you could do for that, and it's so good. One with marshmallow fluff on it, almost like a s'mores, but with um, peanut butter butter buttercream and and the uh, peanut butter cupcake. See where I'm going here? Peanut butter.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like the options are endless. Um, You mentioned that the shops are, uh, you know, even though you've expanded so much, they're still very small on a shop by shop basis. How big is the team that's working at a given shop usually? And what's kind of the workplace, I guess, culture like? Is it super tight knit? Uh, We are definitely
2: a family. Uh, Magnolia will be 25 years old this coming summer in 2021. I have bakers that have worked for us for 22, 23 years that's a long time. Wow! Um, and since we bought the bakery, and it's been almost 13 years, I've got at least, I think, six bakers who've been with us that long. People that I hired definitely over 10 years ago that are still with the company. A lot of managers have been with us over 10 years. Um, it's a family, you know. We all we all care very much about each other, and and want We want everyone to succeed. So when somebody leaves us because they're doing something that is for them, that's successful. We mourn their loss of leaving us, but we also celebrate what they're doing for their career path. So, and we keep in touch.
1: I guess, what was it like? I'm curious. We talked a little bit about your past many, many roles and different hats that you've worn. What's it been like making that transition from being more so in the kitchen with that as your role to being in this more kind of, I guess, managerial or operational role where you're overseeing, uh, people and overseeing ideas and things like that?
2: Well, in my, my career, which is, it makes me sound old, but it's over 40 years of working in the restaurant industry. Um, I haven't worked full time in the kitchen in many, many years. Um, I like the aspect of running the business and as I'm also the COO. So, um, that's a big part is I'm very entrepreneurial and I like doing it and I like, I like developing teams of people. And then, watching them grow and see what they can do. And I was just talking to someone the other day about like, okay, this is how this is going to work. I'm going to tell you what we want the outcome to be. And then you're just going to go and do it. And then you're going to come back to me and tell me how it went. Like what better job to have than that, right? (laughs) So to have a boss that's telling you like, okay, it's a challenge for somebody too, because now they're going to have to go off and figure out how to make that work. We provide all the guidance and as much information as that person is going to need and the resources but I'm not going to sit over you and micromanage the process. It's mm-hmm. more of, I want this, we, we as a company want this outcome. How do we get there?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think that, that, that is, um, and kind of really where I have my fun is as the CBO. So to do it every day, all the time, I, I'm not at a stage in my life or a career where I would want to be in the kitchen every day, all the time. Um, but when I am, I'm very happy. It is my happy place. It's, uh, my husband teases me because I hum when I cook and when I bake, and I don't know I'm doing it. It's completely unconscious, but it's a sign that I'm happy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So hummers are always happy people.
0: Your job is really the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think so. So what has it been like um, kind of being a woman in the restaurant industry where it's very kind of male-dominated, um, both back of house, in front of house, now being kind of in this executive role? So
2: when I was coming up in the industry, it was very hard because there were very few females in the business. And most of the women I know in my age group, we all had very much the same experience is that you had to be tough and people were going to test you. So when I say tough, I don't mean it in like a, like a bitchy way, not, not like that at all, but, you know, the confidence, you had to have a lot of confidence. And you had to believe in yourself and not give in. So if someone was going to give you pushback, keep pushing for what you wanted. Um, And I always did. And I also used to joke that I was the queen of dumb questions, (laughs) which really means that I was never afraid to ask a question, even if it seemed trivial. But I wanted to know. So I learned from a lot of men because that's who I had access to very young, very early on in my career. And I got some incredible advice and support from a lot of men in the industry. I personally have never had a horrible, bad experience. I never had a Me Too experience in my industry. I know plenty of people who did, but I personally never did. Um, But I also never had a female role model. So I really think that's important now, um, and I would like to be that. I, I don't like the world role models so much. Is I always I want to be that person that anyone who wants to come up in the industry knows that there's someone that they can reach out to if they have a question. And one thing that I, I look for in our industry, and having been in the restaurant industry for so many years, is that the restaurant industry has many organizations, and everybody's part of the club. So there's the restaurant National Restaurant Association. There's the state. There's the city. There's um, fundraisers and all the chefs all get together, and right, male, female, everybody's having a good old time. The baking industry doesn't have that. And I really want everyone in the baking industry to say, to acknowledge that we're not competing against each other. We're in this together. We all sell sweets. And you know what? Someone can buy ice cream from you tomorrow, and they're gonna buy a cake from me the next day, and maybe they're gonna have a, a cookie from LeVan and a scone from someone else. Like, you're not going to eat all those sweets every day of the week. You mm-hmm. might eat a sweet every day like me,
1: but <laughs> I have
2: my favorite places I go to to get all my different things that I like. So, you know, I love, my, I love meringues. I love these things downtown in uh, the West Village from this place called Marvellous de Fred. They're just the most insane, incredible meringue-based cookie with a chantilly cream inside. They are the. They do it perfectly. I'm not even going to attempt to make one of them because theirs are
0: so perfect. So that's there's room for everybody, right? I totally agree. Just like restaurants, you go to restaurants yep. a different one every day. It's not like, um, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna. I'm still trying to figure out in my brain like how can
2: I get our baking world together and create an organization. I don't have time to do it all right now, but um, I do think it's important as well as supporting each other to say you know like. Hey, where do I get a box if I need a custom box made? Or you know, who do I call? And and in the in the restaurant industry, chefs share their contacts for the best fish, for the best vegetable guy, the best meat guy. All the chefs know that. But in the bakery world, it's kind of hush hush. Everyone's like, "That's my source. I'm not telling you." (laughs) I'm like singing from the mountaintop. Tell them who you're buying (laughs) your chocolate from. And who do you guys get your chocolate from? Um, It's the company is owned by Velrona. And actually it's a very interesting story for Republica de Cacao. The French owners recognized that they were buying cocoa from Ecuador, but that in Ecuador, nobody was actually producing chocolate. So they say, well, we need to go to Ecuador and teach these people how to make chocolate so that they have an industry, not just as farmers raising cacao. And so it's a division of Velrona chocolate But it's single origin. It's called Republica de Cacao. Um, It's organic. And they've worked with the farmers in the region to teach them how to farm organically. They worked with um, uh, dairy, uh, dairy farmers high up in the Andean mountains on how to plant a certain type of grass so that the cows will actually produce more milk just because they're eating healthier grass. So on their team, they have an environmentalist. That's and it awesome. work, they work with this it's really cool what this company does I, I love love all the people involved in it and it wasn't just about their chocolate it was about literally helping a, a country and a community thrive so whether it's the cow growers or the the um, dairy farmers and it's a small collective called Ter- in a small collective of 53 families and each family has like seven cows they hand milk the cows
0: it really is quite incredible. It's a beautiful story. It sounds amazing. Yeah, it's awesome that even like a large international brand like Ma- like Magnolia like cares about its sourcing of ingredients and has such a sustainable chocolate partner.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I feel like especially right now when the food and hospitality industry has been hit so hard by oh, you know the, of the pandemic and everything, it's just so important to be supportive across that network. Yeah, um, yeah, it's crazy. Definitely. So we do have one final question, which is, you know, we have a lot of student listeners because we are both students and we were wondering if you have any advice for students and just young people who are looking to get into food and hospitality, baking, bakeries, the industry in general.
2: The one thing I learned coming up in the business is is to get yourself noticed is work hard And, and that you'll be noticed. And when you work hard, Anybody who's in the industry, like if you want to be in a kitchen or you want to be in an office or you want to do finance or you want to do whatever it is that you want to do, show the person that you're working with that you care about the project. You care about the end result and that you're willing to work hard because then they will go to the nth degree to teach you and show you. And that's really like my first mentor, when the one that told me to go to culinary school. Um, He had a chain of restaurants and he worked very hard. And I was young. I was 18, 19 years old at the time, uh, maybe 20. But by the time I left working for him, but um, he recognized that I was someone who was willing to put in the time, effort and energy. And he made me a supervisor. So I was a waitress, then I was a supervisor. Then I became a manager. And then he let me go into the kitchen, which is, ooh, that was the man territory, right? (laughs) The guys didn't like seeing me there. So instead of being an employee in the kitchen once a week, I would get to create the daily special and just having that one little opportunity is I would go in my home and I would make that dish all week long in preparation for showing him what I was going to do the following week. So that that is probably the best advice I could give to anybody is just show whoever it is that you want to work with and for that you're willing to do what it takes to get in the door. Um, I had a very hard time getting a job as a line cook. When the day came that I wanted to be a line cook, nobody would hire me. And I interviewed with a French um, chef in a fancy hotel. And then these big hotel kitchens, the the office was like a glass enclosed space in the middle of the kitchen. And the chef, all the guys were kind of looking at like, I was this skinny young. I looked like I was 12, but I was think I was 22 or something. And I could see these guys looking at me like these older French guys. And the French chef's guy's like, I cannot hire you. He's like, look at these men, they will never work. I was like, I (laughs) can do this job. Like, let me prove myself. He wouldn't hire me. So I decided instead of going to the big hotels that I would go to the small French restaurants. And I ended up going door to door, knocking on literally small restaurants around the Boston area. And I ended up meeting this um, American chef working in a French restaurant. And I said, give me a chance let me work for a week a week i will work for free and i will show you that i can hold my own and i can do the job that every one of these guys can do and i was the only girl in the kitchen and he hired me and the first night the guys in the kitchen decided that they were going to try to sabotage me and the chef told me to make staff dinner i was like oh my god what do i make and you're nervous anyway because i'm working for free and i want to prove that i can do this And the guys handed me this bucket of very, very oily Cornish hens and told me to put them on the grill. I'm thinking, why are they so oily? They caught on fire. Well, the guys didn't think that it was going to cause such a fire that the ansel system would go off. Yeah. And you know what the fire suppression system is? It's like a white powder that's over all the burners in a kitchen. The whole thing blew up which meant we had to close the restaurant. And, oh, wow, chef got very angry with them. The owner got very angry with them because they were trying to sabotage me. So in in hindsight, I wonder if what they did actually saved me for a week so that I could prove myself because it put the rest of those guys on best behavior for the entire time I was there. So after a week and I proved myself, we all became best friends. But, um, you know, that's what I'm saying. It was hard back then, but I was willing to work my butt off to show them that I could do the job just as good as they could do it. I could lift up heavy saute pans. I could lift up stock pots. I could carry bag of potatoes up and down the stairs. And I wasn't going to ask for help Mm because they wanted to. They wanted somebody to go, look, she can't do it. She's a girl. I was like, no, I can do it. And I learned a lot. I was there for a year and a half and I got to work side by side with the chef every night. So, that's my
0: that's my story. That's <laughs> insane how you had that experience and still decided to like keep on going no matter like even if the restaurant caught on fire.
2: Yeah, I was sure I was going to be fired that minute. I, I thought, oh my god, this is the end of my career. But the owners and the chef, the owner and the chef knew what these guys had done. They sabotaged me, so you know they saved me in a sense mm-hmm. without knowing it. Yeah, you just so have to keep it, going. It, it, Key. And that's why I was saying like being tough. Uh, that was my toughness of not letting it get to me, not crying, not, not showing them that they got to me. Mm-hmm. Just do my job. Stick with it. Not whining and complaining to the boss. Stick with it. Do my job. Mm-hmm. So and do it well. So if it's a 12 hour day, I'm working the 12 hour day. And I'm hot and sweaty. I'm hot and sweaty. <laughs>
0: yeah um and now to wrap up we can we have like a speed round so just kind of say the first thing that pops to mind with these kind of fun questions um, okay <laughs> number one um what is one kitchen tool you can't live without
2: my whisk and my actually two my whisk and my tongs and i'm not sure which order because i use them both every day all the time
1: next question is what is your favorite midnight snack or late night restaurant
2: Ah, midnight snack is always ice cream. Because ice cream, you can take a bite, and it soothes. And the other thing with ice cream is, no matter how much you had to eat, ice cream somehow still fits in your belly. I
0: feel like I always eat the whole pint.
2: Well, that happens. (laughs) And you know, there's still probably enough room. I used to use this visual. It's like you know, it's like steak and potatoes were here and here and here in your belly. When you eat the ice cream, it just kind of goes
0: around and fills all the crevices. (laughs) Um, What's the most underrated item at Magnolia Bakery?
2: Ooh, the most underrated. That's a good one. Um, One of my favorites, because there's that peanut butter thing coming at you again, is a peanut butter no-bake bar. And I don't know that most of the bakeries make it, but they don't make it all the time. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a peanut butter and graham cracker bottom. And then you put chocolate over the top, melted chocolate over the top with it. The great thing about it, it's kind of like an energy snack bar. You can eat a small piece. So underrated because not that many people know about it. It's really good. Um, and finally, we have the
1: age old question, which is chocolate or vanilla?
2: Chocolate, for me, chocolate. <laughs> Our chocolate cupcake is, as they say, to die for. It really is. And part of it is because we use this amazing cocoa from Ecuador that's just, it's rich, it's delicious, it's dark, it's beautiful. I can stick my face in the bag and breathe. It's just so amazing.
0: Thank you so much, Bobby, for taking the time to be on our show. So great to see you. And nice to see you too, I missed you. I wish you could come to New York and visit (laughs) someday
2: soon, very soon.
1: That's a wrap on our conversation with Bobby Lloyd from Magnolia Bakery. Check out Bobby on Instagram at Bake with Bobby and follow at Magnolia Bakery for all your sweet treat fixes. Be sure to order their newest cookbook, the Magnolia Bakery Handbook, a complete guide for the home baker. I'm Elena Cho. And I'm Maggie Tang. And this is Gourmand.